This morning, we're going to be looking at a sermon uh, or a scripture passage from the Gospel of John. And as uh, we come to it, I want to give a couple of uh, disclaimers. Uh, The first being that as I was preparing to come down, I forgot a couple of things. I'm not sure which was more important. One was my sermon outline, and the other was my razor. And so I had to try two new things this morning. One is I'm trying, I'm looking at my outline on my iPad, which is brand new. So if it goes blank, there may be long pauses uh, in it. The second thing I had to try was my wife's razor. And so that was bad for both of us uh, today. So um, we'll see uh, over time. I think our high tech, uh, we're going to record this thing. So let's see how we do it. Maybe not. There we go. I got it. I got it. Thanks. See if it's worth recording. There we go. But our scripture this morning is going to come from the Gospel of John. John is a disciple, he was an apostle, he was in his latter life a pastor. If you know the story of John, he served with Jesus, he was the one that Jesus called beloved. He was his closest friend of the twelve. Think of it that way. It's important as you come to Scripture to personalize it, to take it out of just being uh, some words on a page and and be able to engage the Scripture. Hear these words that we're going to talk about and hear what what John is trying to relate to us as a good friend telling people as a pastor about his best friend, Jesus. And so he's been talking about Jesus and promoting and saying he's not giving necessarily a history of Jesus' life. He's not doing more of the historical narrative that uh, Luke would have done as an account. Or even talking and trying to show, as Matthew did, of Jesus' Jewishness, that he truly was the Messiah. John is coming and he's saying, you need to see Jesus for who he really is. And who he really is, is the Son of God. He was equal with God in power and glory. He begins at the very beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He jumps right in. He doesn't hem and haw around. He's not a good southerner. He just jumps right in. And it wasn't surprising today to hear we have a guest from Grand Rapids, Michigan. I think much of the Midwest evidently lives down this way. They stop off in Rock Hill and come down. But Jesus wasn't, or John wasn't a good southerner. He didn't just sort of go around a little bit. He came right at it. Now, I come from a split home. My daddy was from Alabama and my mother's from Manhattan. And so, uh, and so I had a mom who would just say it to you. And I had a dad who took a while to get around to saying it to you, but he'd get there. John jumps right in. And he says, you have to deal with this Jesus. Folks, today, not only today in this worship service, but today in our culture, we have a culture that doesn't want to deal with Jesus. They want to dismiss him, write him off, uh, but you have to deal with his claims, his exclusive claims, his very difficult claims. And today, you are going to have to either say, I believe, and therefore I will bend the knee and submit myself to him. It will soften your heart. Or it's going to harden your heart and you're going to say, I don't want to have anything to do with them. There's no middle ground. You see, earlier in John's gospel, we're going to look at chapter 11, but earlier in John's gospel in chapter 8, Jesus came and he was going, he went right into the middle of the temple. 
He came into Jerusalem. He went right into the temple during the high time, during one of the Passover feasts. And he came in and he said, this is who I am. And he said these words to the leaders of the Jewish church at the day. He said, before Abraham was Yahweh. Before Abraham was, I am. And you remember the response of the Jewish leaders of the day? They didn't go, oh, that is really cool. That's great. That's exciting news. It says they picked up stones to kill him because he just said to them, I'm God, deal with it. I'm not some little rabbi who's come along. I'm not a good moral teacher. I'm not just a nice person. I am God, and you have to deal with me. You will either reject me outright and try to kill me, stone me, or you will bend the knee and you'll confess that I'm Jesus and you'll give your life to me, one or the other. And then on the heels of that, go through all of these wonderful statements of the I am's. You are familiar with them in John's gospel. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. This week, we're going to look at I am the resurrection and the life. He says elsewhere that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, I am the vine. And all find their life in me. But this week, Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. I am the life. How will you respond to him? How will you deal with him in that? So... If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to John chapter 11. We'll be looking really at the 17 through 27 are the ones that I'm going to read. But we'll be looking at the whole passage. It's that familiar passage of Lazarus, Jesus' good friend who passes away. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, have called for Jesus. Jesus doesn't come in time. Lazarus dies. Then Jesus goes and Lazarus is raised from the dead. That's the context of the story, but we're going to look at some uh, more specific things in it. But this is God's very word. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord... If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Let's pray. Father, we now ask for your spirit to guide and direct us as we look at this word together. Open our thoughts and our minds, and would your spirit penetrate deep. Show us what it means to believe in Christ, that he is the resurrection, and that he is the life. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so here we come to this passage. Here we come to this setting. And I want you to take away a a few things. 
the first point, if you're an outline taker, and you'll get to know me over the course of time, I have an outline. I rarely follow my outline. So rarely will I give you all of it up front because I don't want you to go, well, Bill, you changed point number two. I get it. So I'm not going to give it to you. But here's the first point. These three words, love, suffering, and glory. Love, suffering, and glory. That The first thing that I want us to talk about and to spend a little bit of time together dealing with are those three words. And in order to get this context, again, you have to remember, Jesus was good friends with Martha and Mary. Jesus had been on the earth now for about three years. This was the third Passover event. He had spent time with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They lived just outside of Jerusalem in Bethany. Remember, he had gone and had been with them and spent time with them. And so Mary sends and Martha send for Jesus and say, Jesus, your good friend, our brother Lazarus, is sick. That's at the beginning of this chapter. And look at Jesus' response. It says there, Lazarus was sick, and they sent to him. And Jesus then said, this illness, verse 4, does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, did you catch that? It said that Jesus loved them. Jesus had affection for them. That's the statement. Jesus loved them. So what did he do out of that love? The next statement says, Jesus loved them. And most of your translations say so. But a better way to say it is therefore. Jesus loved them. Therefore, he didn't go. Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Therefore, he didn't go to Lazarus before he died. Do you catch that? Let that sit with you for just a moment. Because of Jesus' great love, I tell our congregation back in Westminster, and I'll say it to you regularly here, when you see a therefore in Scripture, here's how you should respond to it. What's the therefore, therefore? Okay? You got it? It's simple. That's high-level why you go to seminary stuff right there. You see a therefore. Therefore, Jesus didn't go. Well, why didn't he go? Because he loved them. Because of his great love for Martha and Mary and Lazarus, because of his deep affection for them, because of that, he let Lazarus die. Because of his great love for them, he let Martha and Mary suffer. Because of his great love for them, he let them hurt and experience pain. Now again, I'm not sure how that fits with your world or your theology or how you come to it, but let that just soak in for a moment. He didn't say because Martha and Mary and Lazarus had sinned, because Martha and Mary and Lazarus had messed around and were silly and were irreligious or were pagan or whatever, because they rejected him. No, because he loved them, they suffered. There's a lot of teaching in the world today and a lot of teaching in the Christian church that says this. If God really loves you and you love him, you won't have suffering. You'll prosper. You'll have all the money you want. You'll have everything that you need. Everything will just be fine and dandy if you love Jesus and he loves you. This says just the opposite. 
This says sometimes part of Jesus' great love for you is suffering. How do you wrap your thoughts and mind around that? Some of you are greatly suffering. Again, I don't know you well yet. I will one day. But you're suffering. How are you responding to that? Are your prayers looking up to heaven going, God, why don't you love me? Why, why aren't you caring for me? This passage says, maybe he is. Because love and suffering go together sometimes. And that then gives meaning to our suffering. It, it, makes, it takes it out of just fate. It takes it out of just destiny. It takes it out of just chance. And says sometimes and all the time, suffering has meaning. And the meaning of suffering is this. Look what he said. Lazarus' death was for Jesus' glory. Mary and Martha and even Lazarus had to suffer in order for Jesus to be glorified. Because what Jesus determined was that your best good is for you to get him. I gave you a quote there in the um, order of worship in the bulletin from John Piper. And I hope you read it. If you didn't look at it uh, now or in a few minutes, uh, whenever you lose your train of thought. Uh, But Piper says this, and it's so true. Jesus loves us best by giving us himself. He can think of no better gift to give than himself. And sometimes the only way that we get to see him and to really see his glory is through and in the context of suffering. What that does, and I hope it does for you, is give you some hope. In the midst of it all, that Jesus has a plan in that. Again, John Piper says this, In other words, it was more loving to put Lazarus through death and his sisters through grief if that would reveal more of God's glory to them and more of the glory of Christ. Jesus loves us by showing us himself. Mary and Martha didn't get it. All the people around him didn't really get it. But what it says is suffering must have a purpose in our lives. Suffering must have a purpose beyond punishment and beyond disobedience. I hope that more than anything else today, it blows that away for you. That when things go wrong, you don't go look back in your life and go, well, that's because I sinned when I was in seventh grade or Jesus is getting back at me for something that I did. Now, sin has its consequences. You decide to go play out in the middle of the street and be an idiot. Guess what? You're going to get run over. Your kids come to you and keep trying to touch the hot uh, stove top. You're telling them, if you touch the stove top, you're going to burn your hand. And they just don't believe you and don't believe you. Well, sometimes the most loving thing to do is, okay, go ahead and touch the stove top. Ow! Well, you see, it has a consequence. But Jesus is saying here, there was nothing that Martha and Mary and Lazarus had done. He had just ordained this opportunity in their lives to show more of himself. He said that this is going to be for my glory. And he was challenging Martha and Mary and everybody around and all of us. And he was asking this question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Again, remember the context. He just set up the fact, I'm God. I am equal. I'm not just some other rabbi. I'm not just some other good teacher. I'm God himself. And if I'm God and I'm all-knowing and I'm all-good, do you trust me with your life? 
Are you willing to submit your thoughts, dreams, plans to my dreams and plans for your life? Are you willing to trust me in that? You see, if Jesus is who he says that he is, and he comes to me and he says, Bill, I want you to cut off your arm. What's my only reasonable response? How far up? Think about that. But what would be your normal response? Well, God, why would you want to take my arm? Or maybe you're a little more spiritual. Well, God, would you mind taking my left one because I'm right-handed? You'd barter a little bit. Jesus is challenging us here to say, if I am who I am, if I am really God and you trust me, then if I bring something into your life, ordain it and set it in front of you, are you willing to submit to it and to not wrestle with me? Look at the responses. Before we get to the two final points of of the sermon, which are I'm the resurrection and I'm the life, we're getting there. Look at the responses of Martha and Mary and the people around them. How did they respond? And then look at Jesus' response to them. Jesus decided to come into town. He said, okay, I'll go. Now, this would have been the third Passover that he'd been with the folks. So he'd been with them three years. They'd seen some pretty cool stuff happen, hadn't they? They'd already seen dead people raised from the dead. They'd already seen people who were blind get their eyes back, their sight back. They'd seen people who couldn't walk, walk. They had seen storms silenced. They had seen bread fed to thousands of people on two different occasions. They'd seen all of this incredible stuff. You would think that they would have gotten it by now. Okay, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus comes and Mary meets him. And look what her first words to him are. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Let me help translate that for you into our modern vernacular. Jesus, your plan has failed. I needed you here a few days ago because my brother was dying and you didn't come when I asked you to come. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you answer my prayer in the way that I wanted you to answer my prayer? Don't you know how important my brother is to us? Because it seems that Mary and Martha weren't married. That meant in this patriarchal society, they would have been dependent upon their elder brother, Lazarus, for their livelihood. And they were from a well-to-do family. It says that people were coming from Jerusalem. They traveled a couple of miles to mourn Lazarus' dying. So they were a well-to-do family living in the suburbs of Jerusalem. Kicking back over there and doing their thing. And they're saying now, don't you realize, Jesus, that by my brother dying, we now could lose everything? Why didn't you come? Jesus challenges her. He says, Mary, do you believe me? She says, yes, I do. I'm sorry. She kind of gets a little backwards there. But then her sister comes, Martha. Now, Martha is the more stoic, contemplative of the two. Martha's been thinking about these things. 
And she comes to meet Jesus. And what does she say? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, where were you? Why didn't you show up? And then a little bit later on in this story, Jesus is talking to Martha and Mary, and there's folks around who are mourning. And Jesus hears them say, Isn't this the one who opened the eyes of the blind? Couldn't he have raised, or couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Do you see what's happening? Everybody's questioning Jesus' integrity. They're questioning his motive. They're questioning his heart. They're questioning who he was. And Jesus finally looks around at them. And these emotions that he had are very interesting. If you look in here, uh, it says that Jesus was deeply moved. And when Jesus had said all of this, she went and called her sister Mary. This is verse 28 and following. And Jesus had yet to come to the village. And she came there. And the Jews who were with her came with her also. And then moved down into verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then in verse 35, the shortest verse in all of Scripture, says that Jesus wept. And that's when you hear the Jews questioning again, oh, see how he loved them? And others were saying, but could he not have kept them from dying? And then again, there's that word in verse 38. Therefore. Okay, what was the therefore, therefore? Because they questioned his integrity now for a third time. Because they were wondering about him. Therefore, deeply moved again. Now those words, deeply moved in him, distressed within him. Most of you have heard it preached this way, right? See how Jesus loved him. The effects of the fall and the loss of Lazarus and the tears of Mary and Martha. What a tender, sweet Savior we have. This wonderful, sweet, approachable Jesus. Anybody heard it preached that way? Yeah. And Jesus is sweet and he is approachable and he's tender. But that's not what this passage says. Those words greatly troubled and distressed and weeping bitterly are words of agitation and anger wherever else they're used in Scripture. It's basically now the Lord of the universe, Jesus, who had been with these people for three years, who had shown himself to be God, who was just on the heels a few days away from going to the cross in Jerusalem and dying for their sins. He finally looked at them and he said, Enough! How long are you going to continue to question me? How long will you keep not believing in me? How long? Don't you know that I'm God? Don't you know that I'm good? It says that there was this agitation within Jesus because of the unbelief of the people. Because in a sense, Jesus was getting tired of them constantly coming and saying, God... Things aren't working out quite like I'd planned them. By this point in my life, I had expected to be here. I'd expected to be married. I'd expected to have kids. I expected for my kids to accomplish this. I'd expected to accomplish this. God, I didn't sign up for all this. 
God, how come your plans and my plans haven't meshed really well? Part of my story is losing my dad about 20 years ago. I miss my dad every day. And there was a long part of my life when I would pray a prayer, sort of like Martha and Mary. Jesus, why didn't you show up when he wasn't feeling good? You could have kept him from dying. And you didn't. Maybe some of you are wrestling with that. Jesus, cancer wasn't in my plan. Divorce wasn't in my plan. A loss of my wealth wasn't in my plan. A loss of my dear loved one wasn't in my plan. And Jesus is trying to say to us today, but it's in mine. Do you trust me with your life? Will you relinquish control of your demands for a moment and let me show you something awesome if you trust me? Jesus basically, it's almost as he wanted to say two things. One was he was frustrated. Now another thing you learn from this is guess what? Nobody died from questioning Jesus, did they? (laughs) It does allow for us to press back but only to a certain degree. Parents, you know that point, don't you? With your kids, you're fine with some interchange. I want to hear your opinions. I want to hear what's going on. Let's talk about this. Let's work together a little bit on this. That's good. But then there's a line, and the line becomes this. Now here, little one, Dad said so. And Dad loves you, and he has his best plans for you, but I do not have to explain myself to you all the time. Trust me, you don't get to go over to so-and-so's house. You don't get to watch that movie. You don't get to do certain things because of my great love for you, and you don't understand it now, and you may never understand it. But trust me, I love you. That's what Jesus is saying here. And then it's as if at the end, and we'll wrap it up with these two I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. It's as if Jesus was saying to Martha and Mary and everybody around, shh. Relax. I'm going to raise him from the dead. I've already got a plan in mind that's going to blow you away. Just relax. Because I want you to see more of me in the middle of this. And the best way I could figure out how to show you how awesome I was wasn't to come. I could have healed him from his disease and you would have gone, that's cool. I'm going to raise him from the dead. And you're going to say, that's unbelievable. He said, that's what I want to show you said, I'm the resurrection. I conquer death. I'm more powerful than your greatest enemy. The thing you fear more than anything else in life is dying, whether you know it or not. And Jesus is saying, I've overcome that. And look what he did. He walked to the tomb and he said, roll back the stone. And again, what did Mary say? Jesus, it's going to be nasty. She, didn't believe, she still didn't believe. Roll back the stone. And he spoke. Lazarus, come out of the tomb. It says that Lazarus came out. It was as if Jesus put hell on notice. That he put death on notice. That he put Satan on notice. He was saying, hey, guess what? You can't contain my friend Lazarus because I am the resurrection. 
I'm the one who is going to overcome the grave. And in just a few days, Satan, you're going to think you won. You're going to put me in a tomb and I'm going to stay there three days. But on that third day, I'm coming out. And there's not one thing you can do about it except shudder. And everyone who believes in me, guess what? There's good news at the end. That I'm going to overcome this world and I'm overcoming your greatest fear. Death itself. And I will give you life one day. But he doesn't just leave it back there. He doesn't say it's just one day. Look forward to dying. Then you get to resurrect again. No. He's saying, but I'm also the life now. That the power of the resurrection has something to do with your life now. Do you realize that? That you can be overcomers more than conquerors. That you do not have to be bound by sin. That you don't have to continue in the same addictions and the same patterns that you're in. That this marriage that you're just tolerating can be some, something great. That your kids who are seemingly rebelling and have no interest in the Lord can turn because of God's great love for them. And you can see empowered life now. Do you believe that? Sometimes this is where I get so frustrated with Presbyterians. Daddy was a Presbyterian pastor. Granddaddy was a Presbyterian Southern elder. Grandmama was the head of Southern Wick. I always have to give this little genealogy because I'm about to pick on you Presbyterians. Sometimes it'd be better. See, this is a Presbyterian amen. Mm. Now, we just got a few of those out there a second ago. Mm. Folks, Jesus Christ is saying to you, he's screaming at you this morning, saying this, trust me, I'm giving you life now. Go live it. Live it without fear. Quit being so afraid of everything and go live boldly. Are you going to mess up? Absolutely, you'll mess up. Will you suffer at times? Yes. But I'm the God of life. I'm in charge of everything. Trust me and enjoy. Parents, guess what that means about your kids? Raise them well, but entrust them to the Lord. He loves them more than you do, and I'm preaching to myself on that. He's saying, go live, because I've overcome this world, and I've overcome the grave, and you can live freely in it. And that's what we come to today. Because in the end, Jesus is asking us the same question that he asked Martha and Mary. And what he asked Martha and Mary was this. He said to Mary, Mary, do you believe me? Do you believe me? And at the end, even after they saw a dead man raised from the dead, many of them didn't believe. Folks, it's before you today. Do you trust him and believe him? And if you do, he invites you to come to this table. For in coming to this table, what you're saying is this. I acknowledge that Jesus is my resurrection, that Jesus is my life. And I will live not afraid of that tomb because he's overcome that tomb. And I will live in such a way that says to the world around me, he is God and I'm his. So this is an invitation to you today. Come, come to him. All you who are weak and heavy laden, come and he will give you rest. All of you whose dreams that you had and the script that you'd written has been blown away and there's suffering and difficulty in your life, he's saying, come and let me reorient you. Let me remind you that I'm God. 
and I'm good, and I'm yours. Let's pray. Father, we praise you today, and we thank you. We thank you for challenging messages like this, and we, cha- we thank you for challenging events like Lazarus' death. That though there's suffering and difficulty, there's life in you. And so we praise you, and we give you glory in Christ's name today. Amen. Please stand as we sing, Come Just As You Are. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Come receive. Come and live forever, life everlasting, and strength for today, taste the living water. You may be seated.